The Witching Hour with Aaron Maza is a Mind Garden Media podcast in association with Screw You Todd Productions. My name is Aaron Maza, and this is The Witching Hour. Hey everyone, it's Aaron. I am so happy to be back after taking a bit of a break to get through some family stuff. And I am excited to be back in the seat and getting to talk to all you marvelous people and getting to talk to marvelous people who write books, specifically books about witchcraft. Uh, Let's go ahead and start us back with the amazing Nathan Hall, author of The Moonlit Hedge and truly a scholar and a gentleman. I hope you all enjoy listening to this as much as I did making it. Hello, Nathan. How are you? Hi, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing good. We had some technical difficulties, but we managed to get it off the ground because we are persistent people. So what's the weather like? Whereabouts are you? Because I, maybe I just forgot, but where is Nathan from? Yeah. Well, I'm from... Illinois originally, but about 18 years ago, I moved to uh, South Florida. So I'm in Palm Beach County now. Ooh, that sounds like nice weather. Uh, whereabouts in Illinois? I'm I'm in St. Louis. I can oh, see, okay. I can see Illinois from my balcony practically. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up in the Quad Cities, so about two hours north, two and a half. Oh yeah, I used to work with a guy from the Quad Cities and. He used to drive me up the wall. <laughs> we have Nathan Hall from the Quad Cities here to redeem them, so don't worry. Quad City DJs. <laughs> All right, Nathan. So tell us a bit about yourself. Give us Nathan in a nutshell. I'll even let you pick what nut it is. Cashew, hazel, your choice. Uh, I prefer pecan. But yeah, so I'm an animist. I've been a journalist for 18 years went to school for journalism and that's why I've you know that's been my professional career my personal life you know I've been an animist for probably as long as I can remember I didn't know what to call it but eventually I discovered you know what the term meant or was introduced to the term my witchcraft came a lot later in life kind of in my teenage years and then I really didn't get back into it until my late 20s. So now as a venerable 44, <laughs> it's been a while. So you said you picked up witchcraft like later in life. I did too. I didn't start practicing until I was like 25. And no. 25 was like the magic number for me. I came out of the closet. I left seminary and started practicing witchcraft. And oh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and people always go, how did you go from seminary to witchcraft? And I'm just like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of an easy transition. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. I've known a, a number of people who have been in seminary and have made transitions to other religious or spiritual paths as well. I lived in Milwaukee. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and knew a bunch of people who were at Marquette and doing kind of a seminary program through Marquette. And it seems like it just like turned people into not Catholics instead of, (laughs) 
heading into the priesthood or whatever. So interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So you mentioned you, from what I understand, you practiced witchcraft when you were younger and then you explored other paths, but then you came back to it. What did you find whenever you came back to witchcraft and what was different whenever you were younger studying it? Well, my experience was from out of witchcraft into pure materialism mm -hmm. and pure just like scientific materialism and just going on on that sort of path where the only things that I, you know, like I just sort of gave up on all of my spiritual past and it ended up creating a real in me, <laughs> obviously, you abandon your spirituality, you've got, you know, nothing to fall back on. And it lasted for probably a good five or six years that I was doing that in particular. I was doing a lot of activist work. I was really heavily involved in labor organizing, and it was hard work. I'm still very passionate about it, but it was work that was I was not equipped for. <laughs> so when I came back into witchcraft, it was it was more just like reuniting with that spirit of my teenage self who was awestruck by just bathing under the moon and, you know, being a little goth kid and <laughs> just having all of those sort of experiences that that I had given up on as childish. And then when I reunited and and allowed myself to open back up to it. It was a, an awakening for me. That's awesome. It's, it just kind of shows me just, just like how perceptions can change with age. I look at it this sure. way. It's kind of like whenever I would go visit my old elementary school back when I used to live back home in Oklahoma City, you walk into the room and you're like, holy shit. You're like, these yeah. chairs are like this big. How did yeah. guys ever sit in those seats? I have no idea. So with these years that you studied, don't mean to say like years, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not saying like you <laughs> whatever they call it or anything. How do you define witchcraft? And does your witchcraft intersect with your work as a journalist? Well, to answer the last question first, it intersects with my work as a journalist because of my work with The Wild Hunt, which is a daily pagan news website so giving them a shout out <laughs> but you know i it actually informs a lot of my my work as a journalist as an editor i'm able to flag things from a religious background that even even on paths that are not my own you know i'm because of interfaith work that i've done or been exposed to you know through the unitarian universalists I have experience that a lot of a lot of working journalists just don't have. And so I can say, you know, well, we shouldn't use these terms because they're not current and they may be, you know, sort of pejorative or whatever and just not in use <laughs> or not used the way that you think it's being used. So yeah, that's how my work has kind of impacted my or my witchcraft has impacted my work, I guess. But as far as what witchcraft means for me, how I define it. It's one of those things that it's like my whole life has been, it's been a moving target. <laughs> Whenever I think I know what it is, something else opens up in the craft and and I'm going down a whole new, new path of experience. It is sort of a, you know, like 
Is it Western occultism? Is it, you know, it's a lot of different things. And, but I think witchcraft essentially is born out of the Western esoteric traditions and has picked up kind of like a mag by little bits from here and there and folded it all together and gotten rid of things that don't work anymore and then picking up new things that do, you know? And it's, it's a dangerous thing because I think there is a risk and there is obviously, you can see now <laughs> on social media, people who are getting into cultural appropriation and, you know, doing some of the stuff that's not, uh, not so cool. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's always been, it's, you know, that's always been in the history of, of witchcraft, but it's, you know, something that we can be more aware of now. I was on another show recently when you're talking about cultural appropriation and somebody was like, Hey, Aaron, what is karma? I go, karma is actually something I believe is found in Indian culture that I'm not very familiar with. So I'm not going to talk about it. And then I just said, because people's cultures just doesn't come with a perforated line. You can't just right. rip and tear what you want out of, out of all of it. Yeah, but that's true. I understand what you're saying about people treating other people's cultures kind of like it's the golden corral, if you right. will. Right. <laughs> so how would you define being, being a witch in this day and age? Because, you know, we see how witches were depicted back in ancient times as having their potions and poultices and whatnot. What role do you believe a witch can serve in modern times? For me, the most important thing that, that any witch can do is be sitting in that liminal space and offering or learning from that liminal space between worlds, between cultures, between left and right, or between, you know, dark and night between the sun and the sky, you know, just any, any of those like examples. I think that is, to me, that's my biggest desire is to live in the liminal and make it a useful thing for the community that I serve. You know? That's a beautiful answer. But one of the things I want to talk about today is your book that's coming up. Yeah. Uh, the wait, I actually have a copy of it right here. One second. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> da, da, da. Oh, look, yeah. Roll call. We're all here. <laughs> the path of the moonlit hedge, discovering the magic of animistic witchcraft. Give us a definition of what animism is for those who are not familiar with it. I know I, I just pulled this out of left field. <laughs> okay. No, it's fine. So animism is, I'm going to try to keep this to be as condensed as possible, but animism is the belief that everything that you interact with in the world is in soul, is in spirit in some way, because it is part of the universe, and the universe itself is, a, is an entity that is a non-human entity that you can partner with, that you can uh, work with that you can ask for favors, that you can do favors for. You can create a relationship with a river, a rock, you know, a tree, the air, even objects that people don't, you know, like like cars or computers. You can work with this. I believe that all of these things are inspirited. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your magic can benefit from creating partnerships with these 
these entities, these other than human beings. I love it. It's like, and also from, if I read correctly, and if my memory serves me correctly, is animism is one of the oldest systems of belief in the entire world. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's, you can go back into archaeological finds from places like Gobekli Tepe in, in Turkey, and there's evidence that people were using animist ideas to create shrines or to create some sort of like statuary and things that that they were working with so that they had a, a method of communicating with their environment. That is just so interesting to think about. I, I just want to, would you say that like animism predates like belief in like polytheism? Like polytheism? I mean, I, I believe that it, that it predates any sort of concept of deity for sure. <laughs> That's, that is just so, that is just so wild. So that so is... going to get mad at me for saying that, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's my show, and you're here on my invitation, so you can say what you like, Dana. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so it's just, that is a brief definition. In this book, I feel like your book gave, because I kind of always thought that, but it's just hard for me to believe the glass of Coca-Cola that's sitting right here is in spirit, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense because it is created. Yeah. I think the, I mean, when it, when I get down to the really fundamentals of it, it's like atoms are, they are themselves inspirited beings that you can work with. There's no limit to how far down you can scale it or how far up you can scale it. Just like, you know, if I work with a river, does working with the river mean that the lake that it flows into, are they different spirits or are they the same spirit? My belief is yes. <laughs> they are both different spirits and the same spirit. Almost kind of like an, if you'll allow me to use the word, almost like an arc, an arc spirit. But it's just different kind, paths, yeah. same spirit. Yeah. Yeah. There's like an overarching spirit to, like, if you want to think about, like, the spirit of, you know, I work with just plants that I can cultivate very easily. They're some of my closest allies. And one of them that made itself very known to me very quickly was basil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I believe that I can, that I would do work with the overarching spirit of basil. while at the same time, I work with the spirit of individual basil plants. So there's sort of that overlap. I get it. And it's kind of in a, like a different realm that, in my opinion, that we have, like me as, as a human being, have a hard time understanding, you know, it's, it's one of those mysteries that everyone talks about. We don't yeah. understand how it works, but it works and it's there. Yeah. And okay. one of the things I really liked about your book is you take a concept like animism and you make it approachable. And you make it you make it fresh because I had a lot of uh, moments and I was, I was reading through your book. That's what I was hoping would happen. Right? Oh yes, it was like if you'll allow me to use the extreme analogy, it was like getting hit in the face with the shovel of knowledge. Bong! It's like you, you just get it. And another thing that I really like about your writing that really stood out to me is I can see I, I see the sass in it. I see the personality. And I am completely here for it. I'm like, I'm like, this guy gets it. This guy has my full <laughs> attention. Yeah, my editor actually had me tone it down quite a bit. She was like, this is too much. You're not writing a blog. This is a book. You know, <laughs> One of the people that I, that I really love 
his writing style is Thumper Forge. And he has a blog on Pathios. And I think he's got a book coming out. But anyways, he has a very similar style to how, how I write. But I tend to like go back and tone it down a whole bunch. But in my like perfect world, I would just write like him and not care. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it because it kept my attention. I felt wow. like I was having a conversation because a lot of spiritual books and witchcraft books out there can read like instructions from Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, there's a lot of personality there and I can appreciate the personality. Thank you. So what inspired you to write this book? I know it's your first book, but what made you go, you know what? I'm going to put that to between two cutters. <laughs> I'm going to take my brain for the most part and put it in here. Yeah, it was, it was a challenge. I have, you know, somebody, there's an editor, the editor that I worked with at Llewellyn, has told me for years, you know, she loves my writing and she's like, if you ever have like a book pitch, just, you know, come to me with it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not really into being a book writer. I'm more into, you know, I could, you know, see writing like poetry or fiction or something. So witchcraft was not the first goal for me when writing a book. But then this came up and I was, you know, I've been doing this for so long and I felt like not that, there's not animism in current witchcraft or in historical witchcraft, but I just didn't feel like it was centered in the way that I was practicing. And I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe because I don't see it, maybe other people could benefit from having, you know, an approach that brings it more into the center and focuses on that as, as a primary piece of their craft instead of a, you know, secondary or tertiary piece of their craft. I submitted my proposal and my editor was like, oh, this is great. This is exactly what I've been asking you for. Now cut it in half and make two books out of it. So, <laughs> so I've got another one coming. I'm already prepared for the pre-order. I, <laughs> I am so excited. I am so excited for it because great. I comment. One of the things that I look for in a book is if it grabs my attention within the first like two pages. Yeah. I have put down many books where I'm just like, Ooh, this is, I mean, this is going to work for me. It's not going to work for me, but it'll work for somebody. Right. And it, the book hooked me because it's just like sitting at a bar, having a drink with Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I love, I wanted to have that level of, of intimacy with it where it felt relaxed, but it also felt deep. Some of my best interactions with people have, you know, are, in that kind of setting where you're you're not concerned, you're not worked up about anything, just having a nice, calm, relaxed conversation and just letting it get deep and personal and emotional. And I don't know, that's just kind of the person that I am, though. <laughs> I, I don't mind, you know, letting my emotional self out or whatever and just, you know, like people can deal with it or they can't. And if they can't, then... Not the right person, not the right author for you, but whatever it is. Problem. You know? <laughs> I'm the same way. I love it when a writer, like I said, can put their heart between two covers. Because you learn to find the people who are really authentic in this path. And you also learn to find the people who are just writing for attention and a paycheck. Paycheck is good, but emotion and connection with people is just 
so rare and it is so much better. And I will definitely say that you've done it. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> and I have two bookshelves behind me that, that are just full of books. And my favorite ones go on the top shelf. And this one, it's kind of like liquor. Uh, <laughs> this one is a top shelf book. All right. <laughs> so where can we find you? Besides, I, I know about like the wild hunt. We want to know all things Nathan Hall. Okay. Right now, I write about once a month. I do a column, a monthly column for the Wild Hunt. And usually, like the first Friday of the month or something, it comes out. I also, you know, I have a website at moonlithedge.com. And I'm on Instagram, more or less, at moonlithedge.com. Yeah. And I think those are the best places to find me. I have a Substack, and you can. If you go to my Instagram, you can find it from there. Well, it's I don't even remember the URL for it. I try to write on there when I can, but man, I get so I get so busy and distracted with so many other things that it ends up being like a once every couple months. And I'm trying to get more on a schedule just for the people who have bothered to subscribe. But yeah, so that's how you can you can find me. I understand that because I used to try to write a blog. And I had to go through and like delete AaronMaza.com because I'm not ready for a blog right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're certainly a lot more disciplined than me. And I do the the podcast. This is like, this is like my blog. This is where I get to talk to all these cool as hell people about their, the books that I love. It's like a visual blog for people who can't sit still long enough. (laughs) You know, I, I really, I, love podcasting. I used to do it. I did it for a brief period of time and I would love to get back to it, but there is a certain discipline that goes into into podcasting, especially video podcasting that brings up a lot of other elements that you have to learn and you have to, you know, become more disciplined in to create them, you know? So I just want to say, I I think that you're you're doing good work. (laughs) Thank you. interview with Lee Morgan and loved it and so oh I love Lee I love Lee yeah. so much yeah you're, you're my person Lee right <laughs> what so what is next you mentioned that there's another book that is like in the works is there like a date when that's going to come out are you going to be I, what's next when they may have just had the date pushed off by a year <laughs> because I was trying to do all of the um, management for launching this book and promoting this book and it just kind of it was like not getting enough writing time in and it was i mean like promoting this has been has really been like an unpaid full-time job but you know i'm doing a number of appearances over the summer i'm going to be at summer magic in orlando i'm going to be at mystic south and in atlanta i'm on the board of mystic south so they kind of they kind of have be there but <laughs> and i'm going to be at temple fest with the temple of witchcraft in september end of september and that's up in massachusetts and florida pig gathering in october i just signed up for so got a lot of appearances this year <laughs> that's exciting i think i just need to charm you up here to st louis for a yeah. festival or a class have you ever been yeah, to I was just I was just talking to somebody who owns a shop up there, and she was like, 
we'd love to have you up here. Are you in the area anytime soon? And I'm like, my travel budget's already pretty well committed this year. So, <laughs> but I would love, I mean, I'd love to come up for sure. We, we call dibs next year. <laughs> right, right. You got it. <laughs> Just don't come up in the winter. Try to come up in the spring or yeah. the summer, but not too late in the summer. Cause I, we have yeah. a lot more humidity than Florida. Yeah. Yeah, these are just like that. We need to get you into St. Louis, and I'm very excited that I got to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you. And the book is Path of the Moonlit Hedge by Nathan Hall. Go out and snack yourself a copy, and forgive me, I can't remember if it's come out yet or not. <laughs> yep, it's out. It came out May 8th. Nice. Path of the Moonlit Hedge. Go to your local metaphysical book retailer and snipe yourself a copy. Or are they able to buy it on your website? I need to set up sending out autographed copies or whatever, but I haven't I haven't done it yet. I'm I'm very behind the behind the eight ball on that. <laughs> That's all right. It's a I want an autographed copy, so I am going to be checking in frequently. I love autographed awesome. copies. I don't know why, but yeah. Not like I'm going to take out a credit card application in anyone's name who, who, who sends me an autographed copy of their book. Right. But Nathan, I look forward to getting to meet you one day in St. Louis. Uh, and I'm really appreciative that you took the time to talk to me today. We And we hey, soldiered through you so technical much. difficulties together because we are battle buddies now. We're bonded for right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. No problem. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I just want to take a moment to share with you something that is very near and dear to my heart and also should be near and dear to the hearts of those listening to this program. If you have listened to the news lately, or maybe you've seen on your socials a series of bills attempting to be passed in many states by those who would desire to censor the history of the United States mainly the history of historically marginalized communities, namely the LGBTQ community and the communities of color. These bills would censor the contributions these communities have made and hide the evils that they have suffered throughout this nation's history. I ask you to take some time and please reach out to your elected officials and tell them you do not support the censorship of history. Bills that seek to ban things such as the teaching of critical race theory and don't say gay or trans bills and drag bans are dangerous, not only because they erase the past, but they are also very dangerous to the present and the future as well. Again, I ask you to partner with me in taking a stand and speaking out. And also, thanks for hanging around.